It's Thursday, April 18th, 2019, and you're listening to episode 512 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 57 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Wayne. And my name's Chet. All right, so we're jump right into it today. We are going to talk about the fact that the GM is not necessarily the NPCs. We have something particular we mean by this, and we're not talking about passing NPCs around the table, which is a great idea and works wonderfully in the right circumstances, but that's not what we mean. Wayne, give your story, and then I'm going to give mine, because we both are having the same issue here. Okay, so Chad has talked about the new player in the group on our Saturday game where this is only this is now her second campaign because she had ran her first and she was trying to do basically a magical character in a system that wasn't built for magical characters yet so i was kind of playing around with it and i did something and this is unique okay post world war ii okay so i started handing her post-it notes as of game one and she's hearing things in her head okay so this is an npc that is telepathically talking to her as the campaign goes on, I keep handing her notes and she is taking everything she hears to be the truth. Mm -hmm. The idea that the voice in her head could be lying (laughs) never even crosses her mind. So it finally all comes to a head at the last session. Well, and she's not playing a naive character either. Other PCs or people will say things to her or situations will happen that are unclear and she'll question them. So it's not like her personality is to be naive yep but it is a superstitious character yes and this is making her feel special she's unique she's Mm. hearing the voices that no one else is hearing yeah and i said it all comes to head at this last game session where i've been giving her information that she doesn't share with the other players she just acts as the all-knowing all-seeing person yeah And so she leads them on this big grand adventure and they do this big thing. And she's like, don't worry, everything's taken care of. All of this is now happening. And then they get outside and she looks back and realizes she's been lied to the whole time. (laughs) And you just see this look on her face of the spirit lied to me. (laughs) And it was one of those moments where it's like she's a new player that now knows the NPC isn't always telling you the truth. Yeah. And it got me kind of thinking about that, where frequently when you get an NPC and you interrogate them, mm-hmm. whatever they're telling you is taken as the truth. Yeah. Or if you make an intimidation role, that means they're going to tell you the truth. And NPCs lie. Mm-hmm. NPCs may tell the truth, but have wrong information. NPCs may have been lied to. NPCs may have a view of something like through rose colored glasses or through yeah. tinted glasses. They're opinionated. They're just simply wrong. They're. And. and after time, people start to think of the things that the NPCs are saying. They get that line confused between what is GM exposition yeah. and what is NPC mm. dialogue. Yes, that, that's exactly the point that I want to underscore is that I do feel it is the role of a GM to be honest with the players. That if the GM from the perch of GM hood gives you some bit of exposition or some bit of setting or some declaration regarding the rules, this ought to be fair and it ought to be truthful. Now, the game master can use language like, well, you would not know that or 
you have heard that, and maybe this information will be flawed. But, but telling it, the players it's daytime when in-game it's nighttime. Yeah, and there's no illusion in place or yeah, whatever. They, You're just flat-out lying they, to them. They look at their watch that they know is accurate, and they say, what time is it? And the GM lies about what they are seeing. Yeah, precisely. That's, I mean, because the GM... And I don't think I've ever actually ran into that. Um, I haven't, haven't. So to finish the point, though, the GMs in that role are gatekeepers to the story that you only can interact with this world through the GM. Now, you can interact with other characters directly. You know, if we're talking about Skies of Glass, Wayne's character can interact with Chad's character. Mm -hmm. But neither of you can interact with the world without me as the GM serving as that doorway. And well, in, in the type of games we play. Well, I mean, okay. there's, there's sure. like niche, rare right, edge right. games that... I, I'm yeah. speaking mm -hmm. to the majority of games here that fall in that typical one GM, many players right. structure. When the game master speaks, you know, from that, that standpoint of exposition or yeah. whatever. When the reality of the game speaks, when the universe yes. speaks, not yeah. the individual characters, but I go outside, is it raining? Game master is... Yes, it is raining, or no, it is not. Yeah, and then they can't lie about it, or they I, shouldn't lie about it. I don't know that I've had game masters lie to me a whole lot without narrative reason. Mm. There's an illusion in place, sure. or the characters we're playing are insane, or whatever the case may be. But I have had GM certainly shift the truth mm -hmm. that they declare mm -hmm. something, and then when we go back to collect on that, they move the goalposts. Yeah. Because, I mean, maybe it was an honest mistake. They just don't remember what it was they said. Or maybe it's something a little more nefarious, like they want the truth to have changed. They want an NPC to be more powerful, or they want some easy solution we found to their big puzzle to not be that easy or mm -hmm. whatever. And so they move the goalposts. So I have seen that. It's not frequent. But I think something that players have to keep in mind is that the Game Master serves another role, which is also being the voice of the world's NPCs. And the NPCs can give you all kinds of information that may not be accurate. And I think it is so easy. For and really shouldn't necessarily be accurate. I mean, think mm -hmm. about all the people you know and all the people you've encountered in your life who are honestly mistaken or don't have the full perspective. They might see something from one angle where someone sees it from another angle. And there's all these different shades of gray. If a game master is running a good game, then their NPCs are flawed yeah. and give flawed information. Yeah. I mean, we've all been wrong. Dan thought Mass Effect 3 was going to have a great ending. <laughs> <laughs> so even Dan's wrong sometimes. Yeah, I thought that prior to hearing my first review of the game. <laughs> but... I think one of the reasons it's so easy for players to get mixed up on this is because from a social perspective, the same person is always the one speaking. Yeah. And the, so you have one individual who is speaking as the universe and that same right. individual speaking as 10 different kinds of NPCs. Now they might have little silly voices, but not always. Right. Well, yeah. and it's just the way the human mind works is you may simply remember that Dan said X, Y, Z you don't necessarily remember that Dan said that as so-and-so. Right. And so I think... Now, I remember it when Dan says, ah, forget about it. <laughs> so, But I don't want all of my NPCs to be Fat Tony. Well, sure. But, I mean, they're, in the Skies of Glass game, we had an issue with this where there was something that, 
oh my gosh, this information got laundered several times over because an NPC in St. Louis told you guys something, which first of all may not have been totally accurate, but then secondly, you guys misinterpreted what he meant by it. And so a bit of misinformation got misinterpreted, and that became canonical truth as if it had been exposition. And I'm like, no, it is none of these things. It was not exposition, and you guys have misunderstood him. And you as players, and I'm not, I say you as players, any of us as players, I've done the same thing. Because I just don't remember it as necessarily, you know, that that NPC said it. I just remember the GM said this at some point, and so I file it away right alongside the exposition. There's so much information that is exchanged Mm -hmm. during the course of the game. You game once a week or once a month or once every couple of months, and there's so much stuff that happens in between there that, I mean, think about it this way. You sit down to a game and you ask the question, what happened last week? And they give you the rundown of what happened last week. And unless you're Brodor with a stenographer's (laughs) typist thing, then you only hit the high points. So, yeah, a lot of stuff gets blended and smeared and forgotten and changed. Well, and one thing as a GM, when I'm listening to what people are saying as fact, Mm -hmm. I also have to question... Is that what the player believes or is that what their character believes? Yeah. Because I know that I, as a player, frequently, I may not believe what an NPC said whatsoever, but my character does. Well, and it's different for every player, too. Because think about our group that we have. We have people who play really wildly divergent characters from their own person. And we have Mm -hmm. people who play characters who are really close to their own personality, maybe just you know, degrees off from their normal personality. So the person who plays like really divergent wild characters, their NPC can believe X and the player can believe Y and they're going hardcore towards this other way. Whereas the other person is just like, yeah, they, you know, you don't know where they're at. Yeah. And you don't want to correct because you're not sure. Is this the player or the character that is seeing this as truth? Well, and you don't want to correct either necessarily because therein lies the story. Now, let's, let's go back to Dan's yeah. example in The Skies of Glass Game, where over the course of many games, this series of pieces of information got blended together to where it might have been an NPC saying something, it might have been an NPC lying, it might have been an NPC telling the truth, and then we thought it was a lie, and then over the course of games, it became a lie. It got interpreted as GM information instead of from an NPC. So the whole thing got jumbled, and it affected the player's reactions and how they move that's called the story because people are sloppy and chaotic people make poor decisions based on bad information all the time well and at this point in the game we've had characters die Mm -hmm. so if this information has been brought up it's now being given to new characters who weren't there to experience it to begin with so as far as they know this is truth because it's being told by Mm -hmm. the other players yeah so how do you sort that out i mean is there a trick as a game master, to help the group pick up on and really remember what's said in character versus what's said in exposition. Funny voices. I mean, funny voices <laughs> certainly helps. I mean, is there some visual cue? Would it help if the game master there, held up a little... Are you proposing, instead of the X card, the Y card? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Whenever the game master presses the Y card... The uh, EX you, card. The for, EX, you better remember this, guy. The EX card for exposition. Exposition. <laughs> that if I'm not touching this, I am not I am not speaking ex-cathedra. Right. I, but, no, I mean, seriously, would something like that help? That if you're in a game, 
would it help if the game master had some visual cue or something to just remind you that what you are hearing ought to be remembered differently or processed differently than them speaking from the papacy <laughs> of their game masterhood? No, because no, I see no. it as a great tool. Yeah. This misunderstanding can lead to really fun moments when they realize what they believed was wrong and then they think back, well, why did I believe that? That's when that comes out of, oh, an NPC told me that. And I just accepted it. The Game Master should embrace that sloppy chaos of misunderstandings as that's the emergent story. Yeah. The players should embrace that sloppy chaos as well as them having to deal with and adapt their character's views. As much as the Game Master should not have their story on the rails, the players should not have their characters on the rails. The char- a good character is not like of singular thought all the time and singular emotion. Life is chaotic. Weird things happen. Players, characters, humans make mistakes. And so when that chaos comes up, the players shouldn't sit there and go, well, wait a minute. I thought that that was this and you said it was that and I don't know what's going on. Roll with it. Just yep. roll with it. Role play out your character not understanding and, I don't know, being weak for a moment, having to figure it out, maybe making a poor decision. Yeah, That's I, the fun of role play. I like dealing with that in the moment of the character being confused and all that. Mm. And then having the conversation after the gaming session of, I thought this, and realizing why you thought. I definitely am with you on roll with it and mm. you know let that be the story. Yeah. But I do like having the conversation later to see why. Yeah. I re-examine. I I think there's a real virtue in all parties having a certain amount of forgiveness or long suffering for each other in that the game master can give the players a little bit of wiggle room where, you know, you got something slightly wrong or you said something Mm -hmm. that would get you in a lot of trouble. Okay. We will let you roll that back and whatnot. But in turn, I think the, players ought to offer back to the GM because I really have, and it's not happened often and it hasn't happened in a while, but I have been crucified on, but you said three sessions ago that it was like this now. Okay. And I'm going to interrupt you here for a second and going back to something we used to say, Dan, you've been abused by bad groups. You're in a safe space. Now I know. (laughs) Think of it this way. Your SOG game, you have a person who is taking meticulous college-level notes and will read from them in abundance day after day, game after game after game after game, copious notes, more notes than you have for the actual game. Does this person ever use those notes as a weapon against you? No, and I think it partially helps that he you takes, can just smack him really easily. Well, he also takes <laughs> copious notes when it doesn't matter, and then when <laughs> right, the real yeah. hardcore RP starts... He gets so engrossed in it, which is flattering. Yeah, he's totally yeah. into his that. Character. We asked him, so, Broder, what happened here? And all he's got in his notes is Bell of Flesh. <laughs> and we have no idea what actually occurred. So right. his, his notes are always kind of off-center anyway. But, I, you know, I have had people come mm-hmm. back and say, well, you said this. And it's like, I'm pretty sure, based on both my recollection of it, and even if that's imperfect, I mean, certainly in the past, I used a lot more notes than I do lately, that it's like, no... An NPC told you that, and they didn't tell you this. They told you something slightly different that I'm guessing you misunderstood. But the person becomes parked like on a mule on, no, I heard this. And 
That is the advantage to an actual play if you could just go back to the audio. I mean, you won't, but no, you could. No, we won't, but our fans will. So one thing I've noticed, too, is that giving exposition and all as a GM is one thing, but when you give it to someone on a post-it note, they're a lot more likely to believe it. And I've thought back myself over all the times in games where I've secretly been communicating with NPCs. I have never questioned any note that Dan has handed me, even though logically, as I've just been talking about it, I know the NPC may not have the right information, but it's in a written form. (laughs) Something in my brain makes me more likely to just accept it. And as I think back, I don't think I've ever had any card I've handed anyone ever be questioned, (laughs) even though... They are coming from NPCs and secret transmissions. And so I think maybe being in writing also adds to that confusion of, is it exposition or is it fact? I think one of the things that halts me there is I typically am pretty picky with my word choice, except when I am speaking and trying to juggle a lot of thoughts. If I'm doing this podcast or I'm running a role-playing game, which is mentally even more demanding... I do make flubs extemporaneously, I think, like anybody does. So just in the course of spewing out a whole lot of stuff, I'm going to say the wrong word. I'm going to misstate things. I'm going to make mistakes. I do it on the podcast. I do it probably even more frequently in the course of running a game because there are so many things I'm thinking about. My attention is so divided between where we're at, the three different table conversations, where I think things need to go next, a plot point three steps down, you guys haven't even got to yet, but you just completely rewrote based on what you did. There's all these things, and so I make extemporaneous errors. I just say something I didn't intend to say. But when I'm writing a note card, I tend to be very, very picky with my word choice. And so if I hand you a note that says something like, there is a man hiding in the brush, then that's Game Master Exposition. There's damn well a man hiding in the brush. If I pass something to you where it's, let's just say it's a setup. Somebody put a mannequin there as a decoy. Then I might hand you a note that instead says something like, you see or you think there is or there seems to be a man hiding in the brush. Or an NPC tells you they see a man hiding in the brush. And so from, I guess, a, a if you really want to get kind of weird with the language here, that is Game Master Exposition, and it is 100% true. But the truth includes the full statement. So the full statement is not, there is a man there. The full statement is, an NPC told you there is a man there. So from an expository standpoint, a man really did tell you there's another man over there. But they didn't tell you that specifically what they perceive is the truth of the game world. You know, that it is objective, absolute truth the way that it would be if I said your target's a 15. (laughs) And that could go back to the whole... NPCs sometimes tell the truth as they see it. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the big things I started this all off with was NPCs lie. NPCs tell the truth. NPCs have a bias. And I think the bias is a big one, too, that I will play up on the NPCs as they are telling you, particularly if they're an NPC that's coming in and they have a whole faction back behind them and they're telling you what's going on in their faction they're telling you what's going on in their faction from their point of view. Sure. And there's politics going on in their faction. You're hearing it from their point of view. Yeah. Which that might be willful bias, yeah. might be unintentional bias, might simply be they don't have all the information. They're just plain misinformed. And so there's any number of reasons that an NPC 
might give you wrong information, even if they're not outright lying to you. I just really find that players, when they interrogate these NPCs, they just typically take whatever they get at face value. And I don't know why that is. I think there's a, another side of the coin, too, that game masters, when they get into a situation where the players are questioning or seeking answers to their story, they have a certain amount of details that they want to communicate truthfully to the players. If they want to give the information to the players to empower them to advance their story. Yeah, I want a way to give you this information. So if you have every single NPC lying to your players all the time, you can never, ever give them the information, even if it is completely 100% in character that all the NPCs are lying scumbags. The so, Game Master has to slip truth in there somewhere, let me give the players know this. Let me give you a thought exercise on this, because there is a game coming out that I think is going to be a wonderful case study in how does the Game Master lie in character but tell the truth in exposition. I don't know what the release date on it, but they're coming out with a Labyrinth RPG. So I, have you guys both seen Labyrinth? I assume yeah. you have. Okay. 40 years ago. Sure. I mean, it's, okay. It's been a minute, but yeah. I, I, nonetheless, the setup of Labyrinth for anyone who either does or remembered or hasn't seen it, it was a Jim Henson movie that came out like back in the 80s. I think Jennifer Connelly and then David Bowie was the... Mm ostensible villain your interpretation david bowie and floating balls (laughs) and the setup of this is that there's kind of this evil parallel world to ours where everything's all confused and messed up and everything in this world sort of symbolizes the desires and the state of our world and this teenage girl who has to babysit her little brother says the phrase i wish the goblin king would take you and that triggers this fairy tale parallel world this fae or whatever you want to call it and they really do come and take her little brother and in order to get him back she has to go through a labyrinth a literal maze and try to reach a castle it's at the middle of it or something and then get her baby brother back from david bowie and the entire movie is about misdirection disinformation people misinterpreting things, people lying to each other, people lying about each other. Nothing in this movie is ever quite exactly what it seems to be, to the point that you could even make a case that David Bowie's not the villain of the movie. I'm not going to get into this level of wankery, but (laughs) the point being, though, that you could not run this game without really pushing the boundaries of how much the players can believe coming out of your mouth. I mean, if you recall the movie, one of the very first things is she's trying to get to the castle at the middle. She walks in, there's like this little talking caterpillar or worm or something that she talks to, and she's like, which way should I go? And the worm says, oh, you should go right. And as soon as she runs off, she's like, well, good thing she didn't go left, because that would taken her straight to the castle, and she'd have gotten <laughs> killed. <laughs> and... She spends the whole movie, like the movie would have been five minutes long (laughs) if the worm had simply understood her motivations better. And the worm thought it was helping her out. And then you get to, you know, they have the classic riddle in there where there's two statues. One can only tell the truth and one can only lie. And you have to figure out which is which. And the walls are moving and you'll turn and where there was a turn, now there's a dead end and on and on and on. Right. But there are characters in there you can believe. 
There are characters mm. in there that, weird as they are, are honest, lawful good characters. And then there's some, I dare say many, that aren't, that fall all over the rest of the alignment spectrum. If I ran this game for you, you would be an idiot to believe all but about 5% of what came out of my mouth. And I think that that would help, or an exercise like this, would help kind of darken the lines between what you ought to believe and what you don't. If I tell you the target number is 15, well, then presuppose the target number is 15. If I say to you, you see a hallway up ahead, that may or may not be real. Because what I've told you is you see. And so you have to kind of discern that. God knows in that game, the NPCs are going to lie to you as a matter of course or misinform you because they don't understand you or don't understand what you're after. It's one of the things I enjoy about Dresden Files as a setting is that the Fae can't lie. Mm -hmm. But they're going to misdirect and they're going to, you can't trust anything that you're being told but you're going to be told the truth. Sure, it's the devil and Daniel Webster sort of story. Yes, and that is fun to play with mm. because you know your characters will believe what's being said because it has to be the truth. But After I find fashion. Yeah, I find that they're more likely to question it knowing it's the truth than they are mm. without having that ability to know it's the truth. What do you guys think about when a player willfully chooses to disbelieve something the player knows what the truth is but he plays their his character as if he doesn't you tell him something and then the character maybe the character is superstitious or maybe the character is naive or dumb or is choosing to play it out to where they just are choosing not to their character not to understand what's going on i think i would handle as a case-by-case thing because if i'm going to run a world where falsehood is part of the narrative then I think it's only fair for the characters to have some degree of credulity regarding what they hear. Now, I mean, there are times that goes purely to a metagame level Mm -hmm. where I have told the players such and such and their characters have every reason to believe that that is true. And this is pure metagaming. You know, they have no reason as a character to believe anything but the sky is blue except their player just so happened to read the same book I did and know that this whole thing takes place inside of the Truman Show or, or right. Right, whatever nonsense you want to come up with. I look at it based on Chaz's description as the character that doesn't believe in magic despite having constantly seen magic over and over again. In a game like Inspectors where it's a comedy game, that can be funny and you yeah. can keep doing it over and over. In a regular campaign, it would get frustrating to have the character constantly see magic and yet still deny it. Mm-hmm. At some point, you want that character to have that moment of realization of, yeah. hey, it actually is real, and you want that character to deal with it. So if it becomes to the point where it's just ridiculous for them to believe or not believe something, then I think it would I would say something. But other than that, I love that. I mm-hmm. love it when a player and a character believe different things. Yeah. And... It just, it adds something to me. I think as long as there's some kind of plausible reason for right. it. And it could even be something that's very consistent with the game world. Let's take the tried and true, beaten to death example. The old trope of you're in D&D and there's a door in the middle of the hallway and the player declares to the DM, I disbelieve it. Mm. Okay, now debate to your blue in the face whether that goes to a saving throw or whether that's automatically removes the illusion, which once again will also depend on the 
edition you're looking at because it's less clear in earlier editions than it is later editions and on and on and on. But if you've played D&D for any number of editions, you have probably encountered this at some point. I disbelieve the blah. Okay, well, they know they're in a world with magic. They know that part of that magic is illusion. Yes, in later editions, you got very, very clear saving throws for certain things. And you got very clear explanations of if they fail their saving throw, they have to act in every means as if it's real. Once again, in earlier editions, it was not so clear of if what happens if you truly do cognitively reject the existence of the door and try to push your hand through it. Does it go through? And this is something you've seen in movies and just fiction. I don't believe the fire's there and the fire is actually an illusion and you can walk through it. Or I believe there is a bridge, even though it's invisible and you can walk across it. Those are key moments of those stories. Mm -hmm. In a game, I've never seen that become the key moment, though. It's always... It's an obstacle, usually. No, I mean, well, I think there could be things like that Uh, in Chad's D&D game that he just ran. The fact that two characters were dark elves and Mm -hmm. not regular elves or higher elves or wood elves or whatever Mm -hmm. they were supposed to be. That was a huge plot thing, and it was an illusion. Mm -hmm. The fact that you had a gnome king following you around who was posing as was it goblins or orcs well yeah i mean he was posing as all kinds of things that was regularly a plot point Mm -hmm. and some of that was big plot i mean some of it wasn't some was him just kind of jackaling any of us could have easily made the case of i don't believe that that person is actually a person Mm -hmm. because we've been around somebody who does pretend to be other things right doesn't mean we would have been right but if one of us would have said i disbelieve that we would have had grounds to mm-hmm. do it. Well, but nobody and, did. Sure. And, <laughs> right. and I think, and I want to get away from D&D here because of the fact that that becomes kind of a pit hole rules mm-hmm. wank. And once again, I think newer editions do a better job of spelling out the details of how to handle illusions than older editions did. So let's move this to something else. There's a lot of one-shot con games we've been in where the setup of the game is a series of false presuppositions. Chad, your Old West game, where in fact they were dead and in purgatory. Right. Or the Silent Memories one, who actually happened to see the movie that you based that off of, where the Mm -hmm. ship is in fact underwater the whole time. And pretty much every Silent Memories game that I've ever been a part of, there is a presupposition of the world that is not the actual case of the world you're in. And that includes the ones that I've run. Sure. But what happens? If you're playing one of those games, and it's a much more loosey-goosey sort of mechanic, all right, we don't have the 5e saving throw versus illusion rules to fall back on. It's a Jenga tower and a bottle of Jack Daniels. And somebody says, you know what? The narrative is not adding up anymore. I simply don't believe it. A guy pulls a gun on me, and I just keep walking at him. Mm -hmm. And the truth of the matter is, it is an illusion. This guy said he doesn't believe it anymore. Now, at this point, you as the game master have to figure out how do you handle his cognitive dissonance? How do you handle, because he's got a plausible reason. And I guess this is kind of as weird as trying to figure out what happens if a schizophrenic starts disbelieving the voices they're hearing, which I'm sure you could argue if they are, they're probably not truly a schizophrenic, but it It would be more difficult for me if someone said they disbelieved something that was real. Yeah. The guy actually is there with the gun and you disbelieve him and you start walking towards him. And I think that that that's where it comes in that 
as a game master, let's say guy, the, the guy with the gun sort of situation. Well, I choose not to believe that there's a man with a gun there stopping me from going down this hall. He doesn't care if you believe in him or not. Well, as a game master, you have to ask yourself, okay, is this an illusion or is it real? Now, either it's some elaborate thing you've planned and it's an illusion. If that's the case, then great. I do not choose what they believe and don't believe. I only present. And if they're saying that they don't believe, they close their eyes and they walk forward and it's like, you got it. Great. If it isn't an illusion, like there really is a guy there and it's out of nowhere, I think I might give them the, are you sure you want to go with this tactic here? Are you sure? I mean, we're playing a game that has no magic whatsoever in it and no super science. Are you sure? But failing that, too, I think I would ask myself as a game master, like, say I didn't have anything elaborate, like an illusion there, and they just pulled this out of literally nowhere. I would ask myself, would it actually fit that there's an illusion here? Like, yeah. would that be cool? That were they Are they onto a good idea that I didn't have? Because if they are, and it does sound cool, then I'll do a little switcheroo, <laughs> and suddenly, oh my god, you're so smart! It's an illusion, and that was so cool. <laughs> I think one of the things I would also want to know is why do people think they cannot trust the game world. And is that a good reason? Are they distrusting an NPC because of the fact that, as we talked about, NPCs can be misinformed or can lie? And maybe even particularly this NPC has a history of not giving them reliable information. All right, in the Skies of Glass game, when you guys talked to the Rat Man, you knew to look for some hidden motivation. There was going to be some misdirection, if not outright lies, mixed in with the truth that he was telling you. And there was good reason for that. But if you start believing the entire narrative I'm telling you, let me give an example that's fresh on my mind. I promise no spoilers here because this is really, really recent. I just saw the movie Us. Absolutely loved it. Very good psychological horror movie. Does have some jump scare to it, but not much. It was, I thought, really great Twilight Zone, which I know makes good <laughs> sense because Jordan Peele's about to host the new Twilight Zone stuff, but there's that kind of story. All right, I won't. I promise I won't spoil this for you. But the boat sinks. You get <laughs> his name killed Dumbledore. You, you get the sense very early that it's you know there's more to the story. Okay, you know you're not being told all of the facts. Mm-hmm. This is apparent from the first thirty seconds. Literally, the opening text on the screen of the movie makes you doubt everything you see thereafter, okay? You know you don't have the full story, but there are certain things that you expect to be able to rely on. And I think if you look between the lines, what's going on, because Jordan Peele had what I call triple C, complete creative control. Mm -hmm. He wrote it, he produced it, he directed it, all right? So this was 100% this man's work, right? Yes, I know the actors and actresses brought their angles on her, but... As much as you can do a one-man show, he did a one-man show. And I know he cannot communicate a meaningful story if he doesn't earn the right to pull a give or to show a deception. What I mean is if you have a story where everything I am seeing is implausible, everything I am seeing is built on sand, nothing is set in stone, and every 30 seconds you just rewrite the truth of the world to fit the whim of the moment, it's J.J. Abrams-type BS that I can't stand, then I check out of the story. Yeah. Because I don't feel like I'm following a narrative and you earned the right to pull a fast one on me because it's not a really good trick if 
nothing on the stage is believable. Look, a good magician does the trick in plain sight. What you see is, or at least you believe to be, true. A terrible magician throws a flashbang into the audience and then pulls out a card. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> and that's what J.J. Abrams did, particularly like in Lost Itself, which he just threw so much nonsense that when he pulled a give, he hadn't earned it. There's no set of boundaries that he mm. was following that says, when I'm telling the truth, it looks like this, and when I'm lying, it looks like that. And so the people that are playing along, the viewers of the television show or the movie, or in this case, the players at the table, they have enough clues to start putting together a meaningful picture of reality. How do you tell someone is lying in real life? Well, because you have outside facts. You know their reputation. You know something about what they're saying. You can piece together the timeline of where they claim to have been. There are facts you know that you can rely on that start to kind of push that pendulum of it's likely he or she's telling the truth versus it's likely that he or she is lying to me. And I think that a storyteller owes the same thing to the audience, that there ought to at least be some consistency to the world. And maybe that's just an internal consistency, where if you can flap your arms and fly once, you can do it all the time. Maybe it's an external consistency where you can't flap your arms and fly because it doesn't work in the real world. Mm. But there ought to be something, I think, where the players can look at this and say, I understand how the mechanic of this world works, not just in terms of the literal mechanics, the rules, but I understand how this world works from a narrative standpoint. I understand the difference between an NPC talking or my perceptions versus GM exposition to the point that I can start to see the patterns of this is the truth versus these are the things that I can look for the lies in. When I was watching Murder on the Orient Express, I hadn't read the book. i just seen the movie. It was my first introduction to that story. And it had such an interesting ending, I had to go back to look up the story synopsis to see if it was accurate to the book, which it is. So I'm watching this movie and Hercule Pro yeah. is on the train. There's little grass cells. And a murder occurs and they get stuck when snow falls on the track. And they know that someone on the train has killed someone else and seems to have attacked one or two other people and injured them, though not killed them. And they're all trapped out in the middle of nowhere on this train I think it was like 12 or 14 people that are potential suspects. And he has to figure out which of them did this, not just to arrest the person, but also because they may kill again. All right. Now, what has Agatha Christie earned with me up to this point? There are several things I've come to accept as real. For starters, they really are on a train. This is not his opium trip. Right. <laughs> they really are stranded out in the middle of nowhere. That's not fake snow. There really are this many people who have some reason to either have killed someone or make it look like someone killed, okay? Now, what I perceive through the eyes of Hercule Poirot, mm -hmm. he might be as misinformed as I am, but I at least can believe his perceptions. Right, because the story is told through him. Right, so if he walks into a room and there's a corpse, and it appears there's a corpse and blood splattered everywhere, then that is really what he saw. Now, maybe it was ketchup and the person wasn't <laughs> dead. If you're tricked, it's because he was tricked. Precisely. And that's the consistent rule of the world. If he was tricked, I was tricked. And if I was tricked, he was tricked. It is not because of the fact that he is just on a drug trip. And the truth is that aliens set up the whole thing. 
and they're actually somewhere between heaven and hell lost in the second grade or whatever J.J. Abrams crap that you could throw in there. <laughs> All right, now the give that they come to at the end, as you're sitting there, and I love to play along with mysteries, so I'm trying to figure out, well, who could have done it? And I cannot believe you don't know who could have done it. You've never seen or heard this story before. No, no, I know wow. several Agatha Christie stories, not that one. But, you know, you look for the good old MMO, means, motive, yeah. and opportunity. Who had the means to commit it, who had the motive to, op- to commit it, and who had the opportunity to commit it. And I was trying to clear or mm-hmm. indict people. And near the end of the movie, I'm kind of confused. Like, you know what? I can't rule out anyone. Right. Yeah. <laughs> two, okay, I'll go ahead and spoil it since it, you're right. It is like a 70-year-old book. That is the answer. Yeah. Is it was death by a thousand paper cuts. Yes. Every suspect was involved in the guy's murder. There is no innocent person. Except Hercule Poirot. Well, except Hercule Poirot and, and the his, and the the guy that was working with yeah, well, yeah, he has some guy, a friend of his that's working with him. But of the suspects, every one of them is in fact involved. So I came to a wrong conclusion because I had forced myself to think there can only be one murder. Mm-hmm. But the conclusion I had... Because you were playing to the genre. I was playing to the genre. If you had paused the movie right there and said, Dan, break down for me what you see... Get out your red string and your pictures. I could have told you why everyone in there couldn't be clear. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I would have felt it was an unfair game. Right. But the truth of the matter is, that was the correct answer. Everyone in there was guilty. And so that give though it kind of both did and did not blindside me because I was trapped in genre, Mm -hmm. it did not occur because Agatha Christie screwed me over. Mm -hmm. I never, as a viewer, (laughs) felt cheated. I was playing the game, and I simply, as Dan, was playing to the wrong genre, and I got deceived. When in truth, I actually had the right answer somewhere in the back of my head. Congratulations, you played yourself. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I did play myself. That is the important thing to me about mysteries, Mm. is I want a mystery to play fair. If I want all the pieces to be out there where if I looked at them, I could have put the pieces together. Whether I actually put them together or not isn't as important to me as were they there to begin with. When the answer comes from being pulled out of someone's ass... I feel like well, I've been cheated, and that's in movies, books, and role-playing Yeah, games. well, let me give you the opposite example. A series of murder mysteries that are extremely famous and extremely well-written that do not play to these rules is Sherlock Holmes. Because in Sherlock Holmes stories, they're all told from the standpoint of Watson. Watson is Holmes' biographer, and he is writing down what he sees and what he experiences. And you get an accurate view of what he sees and experiences. You do not get an accurate view of what Holmes sees and experiences. There are some mysteries where Holmes is barely even there. Yeah. Because he's either in an opium den or he's hiding. Or or he's off in costume or whatever. But so a guy will walk in and say such and such and then walk out. Holmes will say, I've got it figured out. And Watson's like, how? And it's at this point you are for the first time told. Holmes is like, well, there was coal on his shoe which would imply he was in a coal mine, but, it, but those but they, are not the shoes of a coal miner. But, but it never says there was coal in the shoes or anything Yeah, like that. this is the first time you're hearing that. Mm-hmm. So you oftentimes get the information at the point that he is solving the mystery. Yeah. You never had the information, but I still enjoy the stories because they are an examination of Watson's perception of Holmes mm-hmm. and how he sees these narratives and how Holmes operates. and what's they're, the- they're a, a crime mystery 
as entertainment, not a yeah. mystery as a game. Yes. And what I mean by mystery as game, like when you have, say, an Agatha Christie book, and you're reading it, and you're trying to beat it. Yeah, which you can. Her books, typically, you, you could you, you could beat if yeah. you were paying attention. And that was the game, as you had all the information. But in both stories, I'm okay with it, because there is sort of a contract of internal consistency and even external consistency, where I, as the reader, understand the story I'm being given well enough to know the ride I'm along for, and therefore, I know a guy walks into the room, walks out. I know on the next page, Holmes is about to tell me 10 things, not that I was too dumb to figure out, but that I'm just now getting for the yep. first time. Watson did not notice these things that yeah. Holmes noticed. And that's mm-hmm. the point of the story, is is his ability to navigate that world. You know, it's funny. I like Sherlock Holmes stories, even though they are, as you just pointed out, they are exactly what I say I hate in mysteries. Yeah. And- because you enjoy the story. You enjoy that story. Stop, full stop, put that off the table. You also enjoy, separate of Sherlock Holmes, mystery books as a game. Yeah. Where you're trying, and those are, it's like saying, I enjoy science fiction and I enjoy westerns. They're two totally different things. When a mystery is sold as one word that you can solve, but then they intentionally leave out the pieces that you need to solve it. Right. That's what pisses me Mm -hmm. off. And that's a poorly written game mystery i'm making up the genre but sure yeah and i think taking this back to role-playing games now i think our little excursion to murder mysteries works Mm -hmm. well because it is one of the most famous genres of fiction that's about mixing truth and deception to the consumer and yet still having them get a good experience when you're doing this as a game master i think there are two things you've got to look at one is the good old social contract what kind of experience do people think they're in for if you're playing a D&D game, they expect there are going to be magical illusions in the world. They ought to expect in any game the NPCs can lie to them. They ought to expect that some percentage of their perceptions can be flawed. But they have, I presume, bought into an experience. Let's go to our Skies of Glass game. This game is not going to end with somebody waking up from a dream. <laughs> okay, if I did that, even if I stuck the landing... You guys would still be like, okay, it was good, but you screwed us. And that's assuming I stuck the landing, which I probably wouldn't. And I'll go back to the example I gave to start this of the story uh, where I was feeding my player lies on cards. There were things that could easily be poked into those. Mm. I intentionally left things in there where if they questioned, you could put pieces together and realize because I believe in playing fair. Sure, and that I think is part of the social contract is that the game master's playing fair. And this kind of ties to my second point, which is I think that you have to be critical of yourself as if you were any other form of storyteller. The game master ought to critique themselves as if they were an author, a screenplay writer, whatever, and say, am I really giving the audience a fair and consistent set of information? When I tell you about the world am i playing by rules that are consistent and rules that are fair and rules that the player can understand and poke at and pick through if there is a lie or if there is a deception have i given them some fair way to investigate that one of the games it's a very different from the types of mysteries we've been talking about but is certainly a mystery in its own regard 
but one of the games I think is great for this is Star Trek. When I run Star Trek, and it's been a long, long time since I run Star Trek for Chad, like so long, it's, I don't even think it's me. <laughs> like, And Wayne, I've never run Star Trek for you that I can recall. No, only at but, con games where it's not an actual game. Yeah, it's, it's just uh, ship on ship. Yep. But the actual role-playing game oftentimes starts off with you beam down to a planet and all of your presuppositions are wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing here is what you think it is. But you have the tools to get to it. You understand that when you look at a tricorder, it gives you certain information. You understand that you have ways that you can count on buttons you can push and levers you can pull that you can rely on to get at the truth of what's going on. And science mystery is a big part of Star Trek. That's in the social contract you signed up for. And so if there is all kinds of deception on the planet, you know there's ways to pick at this. And I, as a game master, have to put myself in a box where I say, okay, you know, maybe it is possible that this whole thing is just the captain's drug trip with some telepathic alien like that false lifetime Picard lived where he played the flute and whatever. And okay, maybe that's cool for one sitting, especially if the other people are in on it. Like I've told them, mm-hmm. you're not going to be who you think you are this game. We're going to pull a big surprise on Chad here. Yeah. Where's the captain? I'm never the captain, but now I want to do that. Cause that sounds awesome. Getting all the players, but one in you know, on the it. line. Yeah. But you know, if I did that for the whole campaign, that would not be reasonable, right? You as a player would feel robbed, both of the social contract. It would be sloppy storytelling on my part. I, one of the things I really disliked about Roger Moore, Robert Moore, whatever the hell's name is Moore, Ronald Moore, there you go. It was an R name, Ronald Moore's uh, retelling of Battlestar Galactica was he even openly admitted he didn't know who the Cylons were. When he was running out of track, he would just pull out a new one. I mean, he admitted that he was making it up episode by episode who the Cylons were because he had no idea how the story ended. To me, that wasn't a good gift. I have no idea why I was so addicted to the show. I hated it by about the middle of the second season. Well, because you had watched it for half a season, you know, yeah. halfway through and you were going to see it to the end. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like the sunk cost it, fallacy. It yeah, was. Well, and the show was. It started off really incredibly good. We didn't know that they didn't know what was going on, and they did a good job of making you believe that they had that yeah. mapped out I for the that, first season. I had that pretty figured out by, and it was, what, four seasons, five seasons? Mm-hmm. I had that pretty figured out by about the middle of the second season. Yep. But that, that first season, yeah. I at the end of the first season, I thought they had everything mapped out. And that was mm-hmm. the problem, is, is Ronald Moore, he wasn't playing by any set of rules. And he certainly was not giving the audience any sort of consistency that they could count or they could play it. It wasn't like there were clues dropped that so-and-so was a Cylon. Because he couldn't drop any clues. Yeah, because he didn't know. He was just going to pull that on you at last minute when he was running out of road. I mean, the only reason I could even guess that the Earth they arrived at, quote-unquote, ostensibly, like halfway through the series, wasn't the real Earth, is because I knew that would end the series. That's the only reason was a purely external truth was, I mean, if I was to retell the story, you better believe they'd find Earth halfway through, and Earth would be a sophisticated society 2,000 years in the future and have its own fleet, and it'd be a hell of a different story, because it'd now be Earth versus the Cylons, and I'd be telling the story I want to tell. But the point being, though, that I had an external truth mm-hmm. that I, as the watcher, or as the viewer, was able to pull on, and that was it. All I was left of was the constraints of the reality of entertainment. He's contracted for four seasons. They can't find Earth in the second. Yeah. I mean, that's 
that's all I had to work off of was he didn't want to go to court and get sued. Well, and M. Night Shyamalan, you know, he's had a lot of really bad movies, but I look back at The Sixth Sense. The Sixth Sense played fair. Oh, it played very fair, yes. If this One of the things I enjoyed about it was going back and re-watching it, looking for everything before I realized what was going on. I picked it out before it had, before that happened, but going back and watching it from the beginning, looking for moments where they, they screwed up, I didn't find any. They played completely fair, and they gave you all of the clues. Yeah. And that was one that I really respect how that turned out as a storytelling device because they played fair. His most recent movie, Glass, does the same thing, that it plays very fair. Now, there's some things I wish they would have foreshadowed a little better than they did, but that is another one that plays very fair start to finish, at least in regard to one of its gives. There's another of its gives, I thought, that he kind of pulled out of his ass, but the story's primary give, I felt actually was very fairly done. So, all right. I think that's where we're to wrap this one up. Lots of RPG advice. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I, I think... Is this a bonus episode? Or? I don't know. Because yeah. so, the whole reason I originally brought up the topic is I see it as a toolbox thing. That if you as a GM know that your players are going to accept the truth from your NPCs, start slipping them some lies. Yeah, I, well, start slipping them some misinformation that the NPC believes is the right, truth. So let me reduce it down to this, because I think there is some useful RPG advice in here, though I think it's relatively short in number, even if deep in, in nature, okay? And it goes to this. If you are a game master, play fair and play consistent and have some kind of structure to your lies. I remember, every lie is seated in and contexted by truth. If I went to rob a bank, and when the police asked me where I was, I say I was at the grocery store. This is only plausible because there are grocery stores that I could have been there, all right? Mm. And I do go to grocery stores. Play fair with your lies. Give them context of truth. Give your players clues. Give them the right to challenge these things. And make sure it fits within the social contract of the story they signed up for. For example, if I sign up for a con game, oftentimes I know... I'm signing up to potentially be deceived about the entire nature of the game, which is not what I'm signing up for in a weekly D&D campaign. If you are a player, I think the, the point we've been making this whole episode is remember that perspective is not the same as exposition, that not everything that's reported is also supported, that simply because the game master tells you, you see, you perceive, or someone said, they are truthfully telling you, you saw, you perceived, or someone said. It does not also follow that those things, therefore, are true. Try to cut your game master some break in remembering that what an NPC says may be God's honest truth, may be partially true, or may be outright completely false, whether because it's a lie or a person they themselves are deceived. But give them some space to play with those buttons and don't come back and try to crucify them because you so clearly recall some bit of exposition that in fact was not exposition at all. So, I, I mean, I realize that it took us a lot talking around those points, but I think it's useful to illustrate the other ways we consume fiction that we can use as a model to bring back to role-playing games, that we can look at a role-playing game using the same tools that Agatha Christie or Sherlock Holmes or Gene Roddenberry used in shaping their mysteries 
and shaping their deception and also look at the fiction where we didn't like it. I mean, in my case, not a big fan of J.J. Abrams or Ronald Moore when they do this. Your mileage may vary. You love them? Great. But I'm sure you can think of fiction where you were led astray where you didn't like it for whatever reason. And keep that in mind when you come to the table. So, I mean, yeah, there was a lot of kind of building around those points, but I think they're important points because otherwise they can really hamstring the way that storytelling gets handled at the table. When I signed up for Battlestar Galactica, I was okay with some mystery and some deception. I just wasn't okay with the deception he brought because <laughs> he didn't follow his own rules. But anyway, I guess that's where we're going to wrap this one up for real this time. So thank you guys for tuning in, and we will catch you next time. Yeah. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2019. Listeners are free to use this episode in a non-commercial endeavor so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. If you wish to support this show and its related endeavors, you can do so at patreon.com slash feartheboot.